Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. The England football team has a Qatar problem. They go to the World Cup in Qatar, having achieved what The Guardian called today a state of perfect mediocrity. As a Scotsman, I've got to say, too bad, so sad, never mind. But Labour has a much bigger Qatar problem because it is from Qatar that the television network Al Jazeera is currently broadcasting the Labour files, which threatens to hold the Labour Party below the waterline, revealing, as it does, a state of rancid corruption in Labour ranks so foul that no one in their right mind would be prepared to vote for them. As one former activist says in the Labour Files Al Jazeera Investigations documentary, if this is what Labour is like in opposition, what would they be like if they controlled MI5, Special Branch, the state apparatus and all the levers of imperial power? Would they be the same? Would they be as bad or would they be even worse? The documentary lays bare a state of lying, of surveillance, of conspiracy most foul to destroy their own party's chances of defeating Boris Johnson in the last general election because they would rather have Boris Johnson and the Conservatives in power than the former Labour leader now kicked out of the Labour Party, Mr Jeremy Corbyn. And why? Or at least what was the mechanism, the weapon that they chose to use? It was the weaponization of an entirely fake scam that Labour and Corbyn were anti-Semitic. And the crime that Corbyn and many of his fellows had long committed was to stand up for the rights of the Palestinian people and oppose the crimes of the apartheid state in Israel. And many of them, in fact a large number of them, were Jewish Corbyn supporters who were drummed out, expelled one member of the ruling National Executive Committee, was suspended from the Labour Party this very week, having only just been elected against all odds as a member of the party's ruling body. The witch hunt of Jeremy Corbyn, the conspiracy against Jeremy Corbyn is of course of much wider and greater interest than the Labour Party. I care nothing for the Labour Party. And frankly, now, although formerly close over decades, not very much for Jeremy Corbyn. But I do care about justice. I do care about the truth, whoever it's for, whoever it's against. And as I said repeatedly on television, on public platforms, Corbyn was innocent 
of the central charge that was being made against him and worse than that those who were making the charge knew that he was innocent of that charge the mass media in britain some of whom one or two of whom michael crick crying into his cappuccino this very week that maybe he'd been too harsh on corbyn and his friends the mass media knew exactly what they were doing the labor bureaucracy central to the conspiracy knew exactly what they were doing and the deep state which may according to the gray zone have been behind the whole thing fat mikey pompeo you remember him off the sopranos no sorry the former head of the cia former secretary of state under donald trump he made it very clear in recorded comments that Jeremy Corbyn would not be permitted to be the Prime Minister of Britain. I care about democracy. I care that Britain gets the government that it chooses. And I don't take kindly to conspirators, either from abroad, whether it's America or Israel, or the enemy within, who are determined to destroy the possibility of the British people to have a government that was better than Boris Johnson's and better than Liz Truss's. This documentary, if there's any justice, will see a flood of members leave the Labour Party. And I hope so. It's time to get off the merry-go-round. If Jeremy Corbyn, with a membership of 600,000 people and with a majority for his leadership of well over 60% against all comers, if he cannot change the Labour Party, nobody can. The Parliamentary Labour Party, seeded as it is, with stooges and even agents of imperial power, will simply not allow it. If Corbyn had got 2,280 votes more than he did get in 2017, he would have been Prime Minister, but his members of Parliament would have let down his tires as he set off to cycle to Buckingham Palace to kiss hands with the late Queen. And if necessary, they wouldn't have stopped at that. So this Al Jazeera investigation is a must watch for every single viewer of the mother of all talk shows. Not because I love Corbyn, I don't. Not because I love Labour, I despise them. But because if you love the idea of truth and justice, then you must watch this program and you must leave the Labour Party if, my God, you're still in it. Now, as I speak, the people of Italy have been going to the polls for the first time in 10 years to directly pick their prime minister. But nobody should imagine they're going to be allowed a free choice in that matter because Ursula von der Leyen from the European Union Commission in Brussels was very clear this week. She told them, and I'm not paraphrasing, this is exactly what she told them in public, into a microphone, in front of cameras. If the voting goes the wrong way, we have levers. We have tools, she said. Tools that we've already used in Hungary, and in Poland, which was a very brazen admission 
that they are openly intervening in the internal domestic politics of two important members of the European Union, and they're going to interfere in the domestic politics of an even more important member of the European Union, which was founded, of course, upon the Treaty of Rome. And Italy is a member of the so-called G7. Don't ask me why, but they are a member of the G7, and they've got an unelected bureaucrat openly threatening them that if the people vote the wrong way today in Italy, that tools will be used to punish them for that. If that doesn't make the great people of Italy flock to the ballot box and reject comprehensively these stooges, the so-called social democrats of various stripes, reject wholeheartedly the very idea of this European Union diktat, then the Italians are a lesser people than I have always believed they are. The people of Togliati, the people of Gramsci, reject these princes and princesses of the European Union empire. Stand up for your republic. Reject globalism, which seeks to tell you who you can have in your own country what you must do in your own country, what tax, what fiscal policy, what economic policy, and above all, what foreign policy you are permitted to have. I bring up the latter because you'll have noticed the distinct lack of enthusiasm in the likely ruling coalition later this evening for the sanctions regime which has caused such disaster, not to Russia, but to the European Union itself. In fact, Berlusconi, the former prime minister, who will be a minister in the new government in just a few hours' time, he actually supported this very weekend uh, the Russian special military operation in Ukraine. He made it clear that Russia was forced into this action in defense of its people under the self-defense charter of the United Nations, one that's been used by other people before. Now, of course, things are heating up on the Ukraine-Russia front. The proximate reason is the referenda over the last day or two that are taking place in the Donbass, where the people are being polled in a referendum on whether or not they wish to join Russia. I am absolutely certain that after the last eight years of discrimination and bombardment of the mass murder of 14,000 of them by the coup regime in Kiev, that those people will vote in overwhelming numbers to join Russia. This will be important not just for geography masters. It will make Ukraine a much smaller country. It will allow France to become the third biggest country in Europe, whereas Ukraine will become the fourth. Ukraine will shrink, and it will become ever more dependent on you, on your taxes, on your military. It will be 
an anvil that you will carry on your back for the rest of time, in addition to all the other anvils that you are carrying. But the referendum means something else. It means that Ukrainian NATO attacks on the people of the Donbass will henceforth become an attack on Russian citizens. They will be defended not as at present, overwhelmingly by a people's militia, brave, absolutely filled with the land of defending their land and their people, but less militarily accomplished than the Russian official armed forces, who will now move in very much larger numbers. Russia has about 140,000 soldiers in eastern Ukraine now. Soon they will have more than 400,000, approaching half a million, because they will be defending not these self-styled people's republics, but defending their own sovereign territory and their own citizens. And they have called up 1%. If you're reading the Western press, you'll be surprised by that number. They're calling up 1% of their military reserve. They're not calling up John Doe or Ivan Bloggs in the street. They're calling up people who are already military reservists. You didn't know that either, did you? They don't have to train them for six months because they are already trained as military reservists. So 1% of their military reserve is being called up. And many of those will go and defend the new parts of Russia that are likely to emerge over the next couple of days. Now, the United States says that it simply will not recognize these referendums. To do so, said Washington, would be an affront to the sovereignty of Ukraine. Can you hear them laughing in Belgrade? Can you hear them laughing in Serbia, where NATO literally sliced off part of their country and called it something else, Kosovo, and recognized it as a separate independent state and put it in the European football championships, punished them by forcing them to participate in the Eurovision Song Contest. People appoint ambassadors to a fake entity carved by NATO without even a referendum and without ever having been a part of Albania. Kosovo was created by NATO, the same NATO that says the people of Crimea or the people of the Donbass have no right at all to exercise their inalienable rights of self-determination and to leave the territory of the coup regime in Kiev. It's enough to make a horse laugh. But here's the rub, Washington. Nobody gives a toss about your recognition. Nobody gives a toss about you. You are welcome to sink further and further into the morass of your own making. But the Europeans are being sacrificed for Washington's determination to make war by all means short of military, direct military confrontation, 
with the Russian Federation. And I want to single out in the one or so minutes I have left for this monologue, the people of Germany. Your country is being systematically destroyed by Joe Biden and his government in Washington. They are destroying your economy and with that destruction will come social upheaval and conflict between regions, between peoples, and will be feasted on by the forces of extremism that exist in your country. I don't have to give you a history lesson of what can happen in a Weimar-style collapse, where people can't stay warm, where people can't go to work, where people can't earn money, where inflation is unleashed and becoming uncontrollable. I don't have to spell out for you what can be the consequences of that. Of course, all over the European Union, the economic situation is becoming catastrophic. But Germany is the big enchilada. It's the big bratwurst. It's the big sausage. And it is being crushed underfoot by Joe Biden. Lastly, on Joe Biden. Some of you think I'm cruel. By highlighting continually the specter of the President of the United States who is issuing all these diktats to all these European satrapies, wandering the corridors of the White House in his soiled pajamas, unsure which door is the toilet and which door is the Oval Office. Some of you think I'm being cruel. But if you saw the latest video of Joe Biden at the United Nations, wandering the wrong way off the stage and all but plummeting off the platform into the crowd of waiting photographers and journalists, must know that this man is not fit to be sent out for a loaf. You would not expect him to come back with the bread or the change or come back at all. Joe Biden is the most powerful man on the earth. And look at him. Look at him in video after video after video. There he is, almost plummeting off the edge of the platform. Well, we are almost falling off the edge of the cliff to which he has pushed us. I'm running a poll on Twitter and on uh, YouTube and on Telegram. Should President Joe Biden be retired on health grounds? And more than 10,000 people have voted on this poll already. You can vote right up until near enough the end of the show. And it doesn't make happy reading for the people of America. 85% on Twitter think he should be retired on health grounds. 90% on YouTube and 93% on Telegram, where they are always the most perspicacious. One man who had great fun uh, with uh, Joe Biden this week because he's an even funnier man than me. I mean funny, ha-ha. He is the absolute legend, the dog's bollocks. Please welcome Jimmy Dore. Jimmy, welcome.
It's great to be here. Thanks for having me again. Hey, if this is the mother of all talk shows, is there a father of all talk shows? You could be the father of all talk shows, Jimmy. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be delighted to be uh, twinned with you into eternity. Jimmy, let's okay. take a look at the latest tragic comedy. It's only 20 seconds. Bear with me. Uh, let's look at Joe Biden's latest outing. Mr. President, thank you. At the end of such a momentous event, the word thank you seems kind of inadequate, but for all the millions whose lives will be saved, for the communities where life will be transformed, thank you. So thank you, President Biden. Well, do you notice how he walks with his hands out like that? Like he has his hands kind of like in front of him, and I'm told that that's how people who are demented walk. So we know that Joe Biden is demented. What it, this isn't something that happened once. This isn't something that happens twice. This isn't something that happened three, four, or five times. This is something that happens every time he finishes a speech. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know where to go. And he's walking with his hands out like that. And that's, uh, I mean, he's like a child. You wouldn't, again, you wouldn't, you, if, Joe, uh, if Joe Biden was a regular American, you'd take his keys to his car away because you, he wouldn't know how to, they would have to do a silver alert. They have these things in America called silver alerts where your cell phone has an alarm on it. And it means that an elderly person has gotten lost and wandered away from their home. And that's what Joe Biden would be getting if he didn't have handlers. But why, this, this goes to show how bad are his handlers. They know this happens to him all the time and they still don't have a plan for it. They don't have a regular that uh, an assistant or an aide would come up and walk him off stage and show him where to go. They don't do it. This is elder abuse. And you know, I do a joke in my act about Joe Biden was supposed to be here tonight, except he got stuck in a couch. He really does get stuck in couches. That's what that is the equivalent of. And I don't understand why his staff hasn't come with a up with a plan and how to get him off of a stage. That's the like the basics he can't do. He can't get off of a stage. Anyway. Why put him on a stage? Now, look, Jimmy, in my religion, it's a sin to mock the afflicted. But this man is uh, afflicting the rest of the world. Uh, so. Yes. It would be a sin not to uh, highlight his inadequacy. So I'm not making fun of Joe Biden's dementia. I'm making fun of the lie they're telling us about Joe Biden's mental state. That's what is, that's why you could make fun of Joe Biden. That's why you can make fun of this situation. We're not laughing at a demented person. We're laughing at a, the most powerful organization in the world lying to us right on camera. That's what this is. This is a lie. This is a lie equivalent to WMDs. That This is the equivalent to the lie that led us into Libya. This is equivalent to the lie that led us into Syria. This is equivalent to the lie that has us committing a genocide in Yemen. This is equivalent to the lie that has us in bed with terrorists in Ethiopia. This is, a, this is a, bigger than any lie Trump ever told. The lie that Joe Biden is not demented is a serious lie with serious consequences. And when I tweeted out that video 
video on my Twitter feed and I ask people, who do you think is actually running the country? Because it's not this guy. He can't even get himself off a stage. I wouldn't ask that guy directions to the freeway. Are you kidding me? This guy's running the world. So who is making the decisions? It's certainly not Kamala Harris. Who is who's making the decisions on Ukraine? Who is making the decisions that have ramped up our inflation here to a 40 year high? Who has and he goes on television nightly whenever he gives an interview, they have to immediately walk back everything he said. He did a 60 minutes interview this week and immediately he said, yeah, I would uh, we would go to war to, to, to defend Taiwan. And then they had to immediately walk it back. Everything this guy says, they have to immediately walk back. Hey, hey uh, pan, the pandemic is over, but we have to walk that back. Everything he says, he he's not the president. I mean, he is technically and legally the president, but we all know that he's not running the country. So I want to know who really is. I wish someone would ask his press secretary, uh, who is a great liar. She's better than Trump's liars. And I wish that they would ask her uh, who's really running the country. Well, there's this uh, bag, isn't there? The, they call it the football, which literally has the nuclear triggers in it. It cannot possibly be at the bottom of his bed, Jimmy. <laughs> because anything could happen. He could fall over it. He could confuse it with the remote control for the television. Uh, yeah, the fact that the, the idea that Joe Biden has. So that was what we were supposed to be afraid of under Trump, George. Remember that we were supposed to be afraid that uh, uh, Donald Trump, this madman, has his finger on the nuclear button. And now here we are, a guy who's visibly demented. They're lying about it. And he has his finger on the mil on the nuclear button as he's saber rattling with two nuclear powers, Russia and China. And, you know, I don't know why people in America or people in Europe are letting this happen. I, I don't understand what's what they get. I, I mean, I get that this is all about economics and the United States selling more liquefied natural gas to Europe. So if there's going to be a, a, a war, it's going to be about natural resources. So that's what this is. At. But I don't really get what's in it for Germany, for the citizens. I get what it's in it for the oligarchs, but I don't get it what's in it for the citizens. And I don't understand why they're putting up with it. Like what's going to happen in Germany this winter with their energy costs, uh, people, this is going to, these are dire circumstances right now. And uh, so I don't understand why they're let. So they say that uh, now that Trump is gone, Joe Biden is the adult in the room. It's more like the adult diaper in the room is Joe Biden. He's not the adult in the room. He's the guy you need to take care of in the room. He's not the guy to lead the free world. <laughs> no, we used to hear, speaking of Trump, all the time, the demand that the cabinet uh, triggers Article 25 of the U.S. Constitution and find that uh, Donald Trump is not fit uh, to carry out his duties, a kind of palace coup using the 25th Amendment. Um, now, if that was the talk of the town, the talk of the liberal town at least, the talk of New York town, city. Uh, why isn't it now? Why doesn't anyone raise now that, look, we'd be doing Joe Biden a favor. We'd be, we'd, okay. we'd be being compassionate to trigger Article 25 now. 
So the reason why that they were talking about doing that to Donald Trump and they're not talking about doing that to Joe Biden is because Joe Biden does the bidding of the establishment lock, stock and barrel. So they don't care who the president is, how demented he is, how anything he is, as long as he's doing what they say. And he's doing exactly what they say. He's not giving people a living wage. He's not giving people health care. And he's starting, uh, uh, he's ra saber rattling with two nuclear powers. And he's doing all the war stuff that they want him to do. And so they don't want to get rid of Joe Biden. He's the perfect guy to them to have in that office. And the reason why they don't want Trump in that office is because he puts a bad face on the establishment and imperialism. And so, you know, uh, the reason why they hate Donald Trump isn't because he's a liar. It's because every once in a while he accidentally tells the truth that you're not supposed to tell. Like, for instance, when they said, hey, why are you staying in Syria? He says, we're staying for the oil. No, you can't say that. No, we're staying for the oil. You have to say it's about democracy. You have to say it's about liberty. We're helping the people. No, we're staying for the oil. That's why we're staying. So that's why they can't have him. Because and, and you know, as much as Trump wants credit, for spearheading warp speed, which gave us the mRNA vaccine in uh, for COVID in uh, America, he uh, they won't give him credit. They still paint Donald Trump as an anti-vaxxer. And why won't they give him credit for the vax that he wants? Because he's a bad face. He's bad for the brand. They can sell more vaccines with demented Joe than they can with a uh, lying uh, Donald Trump. And that's all this is. So that's why I've tried to explain this to people on my show. Why do they hate Donald Trump so much? He's not legislating any different than the rest of them. He didn't. He didn't give us jobs. He didn't give us health care. He didn't end the wars and invest that money back here. But he did give a tax cut to millionaires and billionaires, just like all the other garbage, just like Barack Obama, just like George Bush before him, just like Bill Clinton before him. They crushed the working class and they filled the pockets of the elite. That's that's what they did during COVID. And so that's why they that's why Joe Biden is not being asked to leave office and Donald Trump was because Donald Trump is at a bad face for the brand of imperialism and American establishment. And that's what be, because every time uh, when Donald and I predicted it, that that would happen once Donald Trump became president, people would then become aware of the horrible stuff Barack Obama and George Bush and Bill Clinton before him were all doing. And they're all doing in bipartisan unity. So when Donald Trump banned Muslims at the airport, Muslim immigrants, people then found out why are there Muslim immigrants at the airport? Oh, because Barack Obama bombed them for eight straight years. And the establishment doesn't want you to understand that. Just like when we found out Donald Trump was putting immigrant kids in cages, and then we found out Barack Obama and Joe Biden built those cages, and they can't have you putting together those pieces. And so and then you find out uh, Donald Trump is gassing immigrants at the border. You find out that also Barack Obama gassed immigrants at the border. And I guess they should be honored they were gassed by the lesser of two evils. So that's the real thing going on here. The president is not the president. The president is only the president as long as he does the bidding of the oligarchy and the establishment. And that is not hyperbole. Barack Obama, who everybody thought was a lefty socialist, got more money from Wall Street than his Republican opponent. His entire cabinet came from Wall Street. WikiLeaks revealed that, which is why they want to kill him, because he tells the truth about people like Joe Biden and Barack Obama. So that, that's exactly what's going on. That's why Joe Biden is allowed to be president, even though he can't even get himself off of a stage. Uh, that's what's really going on. And people don't know that and people don't want to know that. Is there another issue, Jimmy? Uh, I used to work for the satirical magazine Private Eye in London. And when uh, Richard Nixon had Spiro Agnew as his vice president, they had a picture of the two of them on their front page. And in the speech bubble, Nixon's pointing at Agnew and he says, no one's going to shoot me with this guy next in line. 
is there something uh, in the Kamala Harris issue that they can't get rid of Joe Biden because that makes Kamala Harris the president? Hey, you know what? That's, that's a great point. <laughs> yes, exactly right. People don't. Uh, what what a better insurance policy for Joe Biden to remain president than to pick uh, Kamala Harris as his vice president? Boy, oh boy, she sounds like Joe Biden, and she's of sound mind. That's what's bad. That's what's bad about Kamala Harris. She, uh, we, I, 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 I don't get what people see in Kamala Harris. Uh, she's being every time she talks, she, uh, she embarrasses herself and. You know, she's supposed to be in charge of the border, the border crisis in the United States. Uh, and they keep asking her, hey, have you been to the border yet? She hasn't even been to the border yet. So they're clowns, right? So what, what people don't know about Kamala Harris is that she was actually the first choice of the oligarchy to be president. She was the first one who went to Martha's Vineyard and they canonized her, they anointed her. She's gonna be, they gave her all the money and they thought that they had another, they had a female Barack Obama. They thought they had an attractive, uh, African-American who uh, speak, spoke eloquently and could get people to go to sleep while the oligarchy and the establishment crushed them economically, which is what Barack Obama did. Barack Obama was a sweet talker and he made people feel good when he spoke while he was screwing them. Barack Obama admitted that he is not a socialist, but that his policies were should be considered moderate Republican, which means he's a right winger, which he was. And so what people don't know is so when Kamala Harris got anointed by Wall Street in the oligarchy, she then couldn't garner a vote. She went out in the primary and nobody, she didn't get one delegate. Nobody would vote for her, even though the establishment had already tapped her and she got hundred, she got all kinds of press. It was all positive. And so what did the oligarchy do then? They went to their next most reliable dupe, the oligarchies, and that is Joe Biden. Joe Biden's been doing the bidding of Wall Street and the military industrial complex like nobody's business for 40 years in, in Congress. That's why they went to Joe Biden next, because they knew he was reliable. They went from Kamala Harris, they went to Joe Biden. And that's why we have the two people we have as president and vice president, not because they're actually leaders, but because they are the biggest dupes and the most corruptible pieces of garbage in politics. That's how they became president and vice president, not because they're leaders, but because they're 100% corrupt. Jimmy, are you thinking about a run as a third party candidate? Everyone watching this tonight will be hoping your answer to that is yes. If I so the idea uh, I want, I wish someone with my message would run for president, right? Because the message that I I'm carrying on my show is that the thing that scares the hell out of the establishment the most is to see people on the left and the right realizing we have a common enemy, the establishment that has been crushing us both. You know, we did, we went through a, a two years of a controlled demolition of our economy during COVID and the handful of billionaires and millionaires, they all got richer while we all got poorer and they want me to blame my neighbor for the pain that we're all feeling economically because they wouldn't take a vaccine that didn't work the way they said it did. And I'm not going to blame my neighbor for that. I'm going to love my neighbor. And so what we're realizing is that we actually have a lot of things in common left and right. Like we're against the wars and we want to invest that money back here. We're for a living wage. We're against uh, we're for health care in America. So there's we're, we're for education that doesn't bankrupt us. So we're we've got a lot of stuff in common. And what they don't want us to realize that, which is why they have to call half the country fascists now. They have to say the enemy is now within, which is what every dictator does. 
every fascist dictator does. And that's what Joe Biden has done. That's what the Democratic Party does. But the Democratic Party is the establishment. So the Republican Party is not different than the Democratic Party. They answer to the same people. Trump was an outsider in that. And they're trying to make him seem like he's some kind of special kind of crazy when all he is was he wasn't as easily controlled as every other politician because he didn't come up. He doesn't own the favors and they didn't own him, which is why they had to do four years of Russiagate. And now they're still in They're still doing FBI raids of his house because they know they're so corrupt. The Democrats and Republicans aren't going to give you any legislation that actually helps your life in a material way. So they have to do all this stuff like we're fighting fascism, like Trump's some kind of a fascist instead of what he is, which is a game show host. And so that's what they, that's what this is all about. And they can't let Trump run because they're so corrupt. He would beat them again, which is why they have the FBI going through his closet. Is that a maybe? If I ran and the idea would be to get 10% of the vote. And if I could, we could get 10% of when people called on polls and stuff like that, that gives you power. And so now we can become the kingmaker. Now you can't, the Democrats can't get elected without us. The Republicans can't get elected without us. So now we have a little bit of power, a little bit more negotiating room to demand some things for people in the United States. And that's always been the idea. And that's always been the idea that scared the hell out of them. Ralph Nader wanted to do the same thing in 2000. And you've seen what they've done to Ralph Nader. He is persona non grana in this entire country. One of the greatest uh, people who ever came out of this country. And so any, and look, and look what they're, and that's why Bernie never ran third party because he knew they would do that to him. And if I I ran third party and it actually was successful and I actually started to get 10% in the polls, I will guarantee you they would find kitty porn on my computer because that's the kind of stuff those people do. We're talking about people who kill people for a living. What do you think they're doing in Yemen? They're committing a genocide for money. What do you think we did in Libya? Committing a genocide for money, turning that place into a slave trade. What do you think we did in Iraq? We killed a million people for money. What do you think we're doing in Ukraine? We're using those people as cannon fodder for money. And if you don't think they would do the same thing to somebody like me, if I actually could threaten the establishment, they would. The first thing they do is they take down my channel that's the first thing they do. And then they plant kitty. If I didn't go away, they'd plant kitty porn on my computer. You know that's what they would do. They and Jill Stein was the Green Party candidate in 2012. She showed up. They wouldn't let her in the debate. They won't even let the people hear you if you're a third party in the United States. They wouldn't let her in the debate. She showed up to the debate. They handcuffed her in the basement for eight hours. That's what they did to a doctor who was running as a Green Party candidate. And she showed up to a debate. They handcuffed her in the basement for eight hours. Why? Because the truth is a threat. Jimmy Dore, there's many people watching this who'll be hoping that you change your mind on that. Jimmy Dore of the Jimmy Dore Show, a legend of show business and now of politics. Now, a specter is haunting the Labour Party conference, which has uh, just begun uh, in Brighton. And that specter is Jeremy Corbyn. That specter is his hundreds of thousands of supporters. And that dark cloud over the conference centre is the incredible, astounding revelations in Al Jazeera's epic, documentary. I think a three-parter. Two parts are already out, a third still to come. Uh, the documentary reveals crimes, actually. I mean, not just sins, but actual crimes committed by Labour Party bureaucrats and members of Parliament to 
basically throw the election, to put Boris Johnson in power, to basically throw the fight like an old-fashioned American professional boxing outfit where the mob calls on you before the match begins and tells you you've got to throw yourself down in the seventh round. It is incredible. Many of us knew that these things were going on, but to see them on television with such crystal clarity, I must say, is shocking even for me. And I joined the Labour Party when I was 14 years old, was a member of it for 36 years before being expelled in a declaration, a judgment that took 36 seconds. I think my next guest has also been kicked out. If he hasn't, he's walked because he couldn't stomach it any longer. He's an investigative journalist and podcaster. He's Asa Winstanley and he joins me now. Asa, thanks uh, for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. I presume you've watched the Labour files on Al Jazeera. What did you make of it? Yeah, I've seen the two parts that have been out so far, the um, extended versions. Um, you can, for people who've watched it on TV on Al Jazeera, they, they have... Um, extra material on the versions that are up on their YouTube channel, about half an hour extra material. So those are well worth watching for people who haven't seen those yet. They show a bit more detail. But uh, yeah, like you, George, I mean, I think that the revelations in the film, not everything was entirely new. Like, I mean, for for a a lot of us who've been in the Labour Party during these years, since um, Jeremy Corbyn became the leader of the Labour Party, a lot of it won't be new in general terms like we knew this was going on um but i still found it quite shocking to see the extent to which they went to really sabotage jeremy corbyn um and um more than that it's more than about corbyn as an individual it was about the fact that he had a popular movement behind him you know that it was um it was kind of the threat of democracy in the labor party i think right that it would become a genuinely socialist party there'd be real change um in the country um and that uh, this would be something that would change the country for good and have a real socialist labor government for once and so you know there was vested forces within the labor party that were determined to stop this happening and uh, i mean one of the most striking things in the film to me was just how they laid everything out so like for example in the first episode there was the the story of how um uh, if people will recall now in 2016 there was the so-called chicken coup where you know less than a year after jeremy corbyn had become leader of the labor party um the labor mps that you know they as if they were some sort of um cia backed opposition in um a latin american country trying to act against a socialist government they refused to accept the result of the election of the election of jeremy corbyn and they did their best to overthrow it and they tried to reverse it by all means possible um they tried to abort it happening in the first place when all that failed they launched this chicken coup 
which was, you know, an attempt to kind of bully, basically, Jeremy Corbyn into stepping down. And what we saw in the film was, um, if you remember, it's, it's quite it's forgotten now because she was such an ineffective candidate. But um, Angela Eagle, the Labour, one-time Labour shadow minister, um, very briefly ran as a candidate to re replace Jeremy Corbyn. Um, and we, what we saw in the film was, I mean, which was, I mean, I, I very much suspected at the time, but there was these allegations um, that um, Angela Eagle's CLP members had, um, you know, made homophobic comments against her uh, and motions and, and all this kind of stuff that had abused her in her own CLP meetings. And um, it was completely untrue. You know, they... It, 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 they, I mean, I think a lot of us knew that at the time anyway, but, you know, the mainstream media took all this very seriously, you know, and it was said by Labour MPs, oh, you know, Jeremy, the influence of Jeremy Corbyn shows that there's abuse in the party and that um, they kind of weaponized these kind of identity politics. Um, and it was all kind of just a distraction to, to the fact that Angela Eagle's CLP, own CLP didn't support her leadership bid because they wanted Jeremy Corbyn to be the leader. And so, you know, as, as um, they that, tried, all, uh, they tried of... all these kind of things, uh, Asa, didn't they? The, uh, I mean, in the end, it was the anti-Semitism uh, issue, and I'll come to that in a minute. But they tried uh, that Corbyn was, a, you know, a KGB uh, agent. He was a Czech agent. He was an East German agent. He was a closet communist. They tried his... Irish uh, political uh, involvement in supporting the movement to end British rule in the north of Ireland. And they tried all these things, but they didn't cut through. The one that cut right. through, they discovered, was the anti-Semitism allegations. For exactly. this international audience, Asa, summarize how that went. Right. I mean, yeah, you're exactly right. That's it. They, they, they kind of threw all the mud at the wall and they, they, they saw what would stick. Um, you're right. What stuck was the anti-Semitism allegations. And the reason that it stuck was not because it was true. It patently wasn't true. You know, you know, it's not that um, the Labour Party uh, at its height, while I mean, of course, it's been purged now. People are leaving and, all, and being driven out and the, the Labour Party membership is plummeting. But at the height of the popular movement behind Jeremy Corbyn, there was nearly 600,000 members in the Labour Party. So, you know, of course, this is a mass movement. It's not going to be perfect. There's going to be people in it who say some dubious things. There's no doubt about that. But by and large, right, the idea that there was this left-wing anti-Semitism problem in the Labour Party was just a total fabrication. There was no evidence for it whatsoever, um, you know, outside of a few isolated cases here and there. But that all of these... Um, there was, there was uh, ever since Jeremy Corbyn, even before he won the leadership, when he was, uh, you know, running to be the leader of the Labour Party, there was a manufactured campaign of anti-Semitism allegations against him. And the reason for that was because he was known as a supporter of the Palestinian cause. He was, you know, a veteran of the Palestine Solidarity Movement. And, you know, those, those of us, I mean, and George, you know this very well as someone who's been involved in the Palestine Solidarity Movement, who's, who's been the victim uh, of literally a, a physical assault by um, a pro-Israel fanatic. Um, you, you know the extreme lengths that they go to and the, uh, the, the, the smears that they carry out against anybody, really, who's a supporter of the Palestinian cause. And so they really hammered down on this. 
And it was adopted. And of course, all these pro-Israel forces were inside the Labour Party. You know, pro-Israel lobby groups were actually affiliates to the the Labour Party, mainly the Jewish Labour Movement, which has close ties to the Israeli embassy, as well as Labour Friends of Israel. And these organizations, um, their um, lie that Jeremy Corbyn was an anti-Semite was taken up by the right wing media. By the, by the liberal media, the Guardian, more than anybody else especially, the whole of the mainstream corporate media took up this complete fabrication that Jeremy Corbyn was, if not an anti-Semite, that he tolerated and encouraged anti-Semites within the party and that the party was becoming so-called institutionally anti-Semitic under his leadership. It's a complete fabrication. Um, and, um, you know, I think what was good about the, docu- the Al Jazeera documentary was that it kind of laid a lot of it out a lot a lot a large part of the story out and it's um it showed some really shocking revelations it showed some um like last last night's episode um especially showed um a really shocking moment with a whistleblower a former labor staff member um halima khan and she actually broke down in tears at while you know in the documentary while she's recalling an incident which was particularly disturbing to her and she says in the episode that you know they were tasked by their bosses with finding um you know trawling through facebook trawling through twitter looking for um dirt basically on labor party members who had been complained about and to find so-called quote unquote anti-semitism on them and she said that one of the things she found most disturbing was that one of the search terms they used to find this so-called anti-semitism was the word palestine so i mean that you know that exposes the agenda at play here when they're saying oh well it's anti-jewish hatred it's anti-semitism no actually it's not it's support for the palestine solidarity movement support for palestinian human rights um, and uh, the, the, the most disturbing incident that she recounted was that um, an elderly woman, a Labour Party member, had been expelled and that she, Miss um, Khan, the, the whistleblower, had implemented that, uh, an expulsion against this elderly Labour Party member who'd been accused of anti-Semitism. And that they they found out that she died. She had, she suffered a stroke and she passed away very soon after finding out about this expulsion. And you know, if that wasn't bad enough, a, a meeting of the member Labour Party staff was called, and a senior um, Labour Party staff member said, "Oh look, we're anti-Semite killers now." And according to Ms. Khan, the whole room erupted in laughter. And she herself broke down because she couldn't handle this. I mean, and this this just shows the the depths that these people go to to kind of retain the status quo and the dirty tricks that they really carry out. It's a level of corruption which will chill the blood of everyone that watches it. The problem is uh, most people will not watch it. Uh, and for you and I, as Uh, veteran campaigners uh, for Palestine, we have to face the unpalatable fact that the one thing that did stick was the conflation uh, of support for Palestine with anti-Semitism, the conflation of uh, support for Israel uh, with the opposite of anti-Semitism. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. What can we do about that? Yes, good question, George. I mean, I think that the major mistake that Jeremy Corbyn made was in Chris Williams's was, was to be too apologetic, was to say, you know, he kept saying, he kept condemning anti-Semitism. Um, fine, of course we all condemn anti-Semitism, but if, if that's your only response to false, exaggerated and fabricated allegations of anti-Semitism, if that's your only response to, is to condemn anti-Semitism, then a, a certain number of people um, and I'm not talking about um, the Zionist fanatics, basically the extremists who are always going to make these kind of fake allegations anyway. But the people in the middle who don't really quite understand what's going on here, some of those people start to think, well, there's no smoke without fire. If all you're saying is we anti-Semitism, we condemn anti-Semitism, we condemn anti-Semitism, um, then people are going to think, well, what's going on here? Um, and they start to get suspicious. What you have to do is push back. And unfortunately, that's something that Jeremy Corbyn never did on this issue. Like you said earlier, they tried all this other stuff. Um, you know, the, the stuff about being a Czech spy, for example. In that case, Jeremy Corbyn did fight back. He got his lawyers and he sued the um, Conservative MP. I forget his name now, but he, he successfully sued the, that MP for libel. Um, and he won. And, you know, the proceeds were, do were donated to a charity and it made an example of him, you know, so, you know, they wouldn't try this particular lie again. There was, unfortunately, there was no fighting back on, on the issue of anti-Semitism. You know, he should have come out very clearly and said, this is a lie. This is a deliberate smear because I'm a Palestine solidarity activist. There was, you know, there was a, a few things here and there when, yeah. when, um, when uh, Benjamin Netanyahu tweeted against Jeremy Corbyn in 2018, um, Corbyn did put out a tweet that said, you know, this is what he's saying about me is untrue. But there, need, there should have been a lot more of that. Yeah. From the first day, it should have been said, we do not accept that criticism of Israel and that supporting the Palestinians equals anti-Semitism. And that's our yeah. position. That's what we stand for. And we will not go on answering daily uh, this false conflation uh, of these two issues. He had plenty of Jewish supporters in the Labour Party, many of whom are being rooted out now. Uh, Keir Starmer's just suspended the one Jewish member of the national executive of the Labour Party. That's right. You couldn't make this up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Keir Starmer seems to be expelling um, 
Jews under the Labour Party in a way that Jeremy Corbyn would never have done, you know, because, you know, these are these are left wing Jews. These are anti-Zionist Jews. These are Jews that support Palestinian human rights. You know, these are people that Keir Starmer does not want in the Labour Party. Um, and uh, well, who'd want to be in Keir Starmer's Labour Party is a bit a, right. a big question, uh, but not for tonight. Isa, thanks yeah. very much indeed <laughs> for talking us through the Al Jazeera investigations. Much obliged uh, to you. Should President Joe Biden be retired on health grounds? My goodness, it's grim reading for old Joe. 84% yes, 91% yes, 93% yes. Get voting on my Twitter feed, on my YouTube channel. By the way, only half of the people who watch me on YouTube have subscribed to my YouTube channel. Please subscribe. It helps me algorithmically. Don't ask me why, because I wouldn't be able to tell you, but smarter people than me tell me. So please subscribe to my YouTube channel and tick the like box at the bottom of uh, the page there. So if you like this show, please say so. Both of those actions will help me defeat Mr. Al Gorethem. By the way, get this. Our podcast entered the top 10 in Saudi Arabia this week. We're already in 140 countries and territories, but being in the top 10 in Saudi Arabia is quite some achievement, I must say. Please uh, download it uh, on these platforms that you've just been shown. And uh, the mother of all roadshows is virtually sold out in Stockport. I think there are eight tickets left. So if you intend to come to the mother of all roadshows, the theatre, the Garrick Theatre, it's right next to the station in Stockport. There's plenty of car parking outside. It's a very, very nice theatre and we've been treated very well by the staff there. Oh, there it is there. Get your ticket. I think I'm told in my ear there are seven tickets left. So why don't you snap them up before the end of the show? Now, I told you at the beginning that the relaunch of the midweek mother of all talk shows is fast approaching. On October the 12th at 10 p.m. UK time, we will be back and we intend to go up like a rocket and into orbit and to stay there. We don't want to go up like a rocket and come down like a burnt stick. We haven't yet got sufficient sponsorship. We've got one sponsor for one hour of the show and I'm deeply grateful uh, to you, Ravi, for that. But we need the rest sponsored or we'll have to be supported by you. And here's how you do it. If you're watching on YouTube, use the super chat mechanism. It's simple. You can give one pound, one dollar, one euro, any denomination, any amount, just by clicking the super chat mechanism. And you can append a comment or a question even uh, to your donation. If you're not watching on YouTube, uh, then please go to moats.tv, our website, and go to the financial donate button there. Now, he was almost killed, as I said at the beginning, in a small guest house in Kherson in the Ukraine. The rocket was carefully targeted. It killed two Ukrainian members of parliament and almost killed Murad 
and his colleagues. Uh, it's a war crime to deliberately target journalists in a war zone, and I hope that proceedings are eventually taken against the criminals who carried out that cowardly attack. One woman who has been attacked, albeit by Twitter bans and by other methods of algorithmic strangulation and censorship, has stood the test of time. She has stood up to the bullies on social media. She is the political commentator Dagny Taggart, and I'm glad to say a good friend of mine that I have followed for a long time and learned a lot from because, Dagny, uh, your family are from the very places currently being shelled by NATO. Haven't I right about that? Uh, good evening, George. First of all, I would like to thank you for inviting me on the show. Yes, you are correct. Uh, my family is actually located in the town called Yenakiva, which is for people, obviously, who don't know. It's uh, 30 miles from Donetsk and uh, 11 miles from Gorlovka, which is another front line. It must be very painful for you and others to know that for eight long years, the mass murder of 14,000 people, these are the United Nations' own figures, 14,000 of your people were murdered by the Kiev regime, and no one even wants to recognize that, let alone uh, atone for it. How painful is it, personally? Uh, personally, I haven't seen my family since 2012. Um, my mom, actually, and my stepdad uh, came over in 2014 for my birthday. And when war broke out, they stayed with me until 2016. But unfortunately, they've decided to go back because they thought things are coming down when Trump, Trump became a president. Uh, They've been told that things are less shelling. Uh, my parents worked all, all their life. My mother is the head of the nursery, so where the children of the age of babies up to the uh, uh, seven go to nursery. My father is a pediatrician. My uh, my step my stepdad is uh, also a teacher. So they decided to go back, and I haven't seen my mom. Uh, since 2016, and I haven't seen my dad since 2012, and uh, obviously my extended family since 2012. And what do you make of these referendums today? Are you concerned uh, that the United States will not recognize them? They don't like referendums uh, in, in the Donbass. They love them in the Kosovo, but never mind that double standard. Are you concerned that this will not be the end of the matter? Uh, George, uh, I'm not concerned the way for the people of Donbass, if I'm honest with you, it doesn't matter if uh, United States or Europe or Britain recognize them or not. Uh, their main concern uh, is they want to feel secure and they feel like only Russia can provide them this security. And on another hand, they're also looking for stability. And in stability, I mean, uh, Ukraine uh, was extremely corrupt country. And I'm not talking about with Zelensky, government or Poroshenko government, I'm talking about through independence, the moment of their independence. Ukrainian people never had one decent government. They had thieves, literal thieves who robbed them for over 30 years. So uh, am I bothered? Do I think do I think the United States, European Union and Britain will escalate? 
I personally do, and that is my greatest fear, unfortunately. On the other hand, if they escalate, they'll be actually seeking to invade Russia after these referendums if they uh, go the way we all expect them to. And uh, that will bring us to uh, an actual European war, won't it? Exactly, and this is my main concern. And when our politician, like Liz Truss or other politicians, says they're going to push their Z button, it's, it's extremely worrying. I have a daughter who was born in Britain, whose half of the family is British. She considers herself British. And I absolutely fear, I'm sure as you do, George, for the future of our children, because the way I see, they are not led by sane people. Actually, I think they're quite insane, if I'm honest with you. With their politics, with their least trust, you see an article, latest article, and the things they say, it's, it's almost these people are totally detached from reality. And they're risking all our lives. And, and it just, it's, I find it absolutely astonishing, if I'm honest with you, George. And it's, it's ex extremely worrying. It's extremely stressful. It's not only stressful for my, my family and advice, it's also stressful for my friends and all the people of Great Britain and Europe and, and America, for that matter. What's your feeling on this point? Uh, I, I believe that Russia should have done this in 2014. Uh, and that uh, the last eight years of attrition, of carnage, uh, would not have happened. And uh, if Russia had done this in 2014, uh, there would have actually been less upheaval about it than to do it now in 2022. How do you feel about that? Uh, I, I have the same feeling, George, and I was absolutely open with my family that, uh, and a lot of people in Donbass also felt very betrayed uh, with the Minsk Accords, when Minsk Accords were signed and eventually nobody implemented them and they were shelled and bombed. And uh, so I, I thought Russia, for whatever reasons, did let people of Donbass down in 2014, uh, because there is no way, if you look at rhetorics of Poroshenko, when he gave them, it's, it's all over YouTube, it's, I'm, I'm quoting him when he said, our children will go to school, your children will be hiding in the shelters, bomb shelters. And, uh, you know, basically they were telling people that they're, they're, they're not people, they're separatists. It's a great name to give them, so you're basically dehumanizing these people. And what these people are, their ethnic majority are ethnic Russian people, and Ukraine was trying to cancel their culture, their history, their language, everything for many, many years. And when Yanukovych was, uh, wanted to sign the law to make both languages uh, legal, so I'm talking about Ukrainian and Russian, there were big uproar about it. And the first thing they did after the coup, they basically canceled Russian language. And I would like to tell, like, for example, to people of Scotland, or Wales, how would you feel if one day you woke up and you've been told your culture is cancelled, you're not allowed to use your language, so everything is cancelled, how would you feel? Well, uh, that's what makes it a matter of self-defense, you see, uh, and it's entirely legal according to the United Nations Charter. Uh, you're too young to know, but when uh, Roman Catholics uh, were being burned out uh, by loyalist gangs in the north of Ireland, the Irish army mobilized and might well have entered 
Northern Ireland in order to come to the defense of its uh, compatriots, of its co-religionists. The people in eastern Ukraine are Russian people. And what Russia is doing now uh, is not only perfectly legal, it should have been done long before now. I absolutely agree, George, and I'm actually extremely happy because uh, reading the results, uh, it's over 70% uh, uh, voting in, in DPR, over 70% voting in LPR, and I guarantee you that these people were voted to, to be part of Russia. Because um, these people not only looking for security, either, so they can, their children can go to school without or staying in the shell or anything like that, they're looking for stability as a financial stability, because well, look, uh, Dagny, they'll be they'll be much better off as part of Russia in every way. First of all, they will have uh, the very powerful and strong Russian armed forces uh, to defend them. They'll be using the ruble, the world's best performing currency in 2022. Who saw, who saw that coming? Uh, they'll be part of a rich country rather than a basket case country that is going to be a financial burden on the European Union and the British taxpayer for the rest of all time. Uh, it's a no-brainer, actually, that the people in all the circumstances we've just been discussing are voting in overwhelming numbers to join Russia. Uh, what I would like to tell you, George, I'm not sure if I'm aware of it. After 2015, when the Minsk Accords were signed, they basically Ukraine canceled all pensions. So my mother, who worked all her life, she's 64 now, but she was in her 50s then, she's not receiving Ukrainian pension. They refused pension. They stopped paying people then. So can you imagine this grandmas of 78 years of old, and if, if they didn't have any family to help them, so basically with that, with, ended up with no source of income. I didn't know that. Uh, Dagny, the line is breaking up a bit, but you've done fantastically well on your Thank television you so much, debut. The first of many appearances, I hope. Thank Thanks you for so much, joining George. Us Thank on you. The mother Thank you. Of all talk shows. So far, the turnout in the Kherson region uh, is 48.91%. The turnout in the Zaporozhye region is 51.55%. The turnout in the Lugansk People's Republic is 76.9%. And the turnout in the Donetsk People's Republic is 77.12%. These are not the results. This is the turnout figures. And do bear in mind the courage of those voters. The Ukrainian regime has been bombarding mercilessly public areas to try and terrify people into staying home and not going out to vote. But enormous numbers of them have done so. Now, of course, the first casualties of the war are the people in Ukraine. Uh, but the economies of the European Union and the human cost of the economic collapse that is underway in the European economies will definitely class them as the second victims of the war. Not a lot of people know that because not a lot of media or political class members ever tells you that. But that is the reality. 
all over Europe. The lights are going out. They may not be lit again in our lifetime. Let's hear from European intellectual, political commentator, all-round sage, Mr. Elijah Magni, who joins us now. Long time, Elijah. Thanks for joining me uh, on the mother of all talk shows. Let's start to start close to where you are in Germany. I singled them out in my monologue because I genuinely fear what's going to happen in Germany. Tell us how it's developing there. Hello, George, and thank you for having me. It's an honor to be on your show. Well, as you rightly said, Europe is indeed the second major victim of this war. But this is a European decision to be a victim because of the boomerang effect on uh, their own sanctions against Russia, particularly in the uh, energy sector, where Europe is really in need of gas and oil, and there is more to come on the 5th of December. So we're going to come to that. But as you rightly ask about Germany, Germany is considered the third country after the China and the United States as a bigger exporter in the world. Now, Germany is going to suffer tremendously because of the lack of energy and because there is no gas. The Italian elections uh, finish at uh, roughly 10 p.m. Uh, and so we don't have any exit polls. But I don't think you need to be Nostradamus to work out that there's going to be a crushing rejection of the centrist forces. They call themselves a collection of social democrats, Christian democrats and the rest. They're going to be crushed in these elections. And once Elijah's back on the line, which I understand he is now, uh, Elijah, we were talking about Germany, then we'll go to Italy. Uh, please finish what you wanted to say about Germany. So, in the, in the uh, course as Germany is going, is going to lose at least five billion next year, and uh, is going to be a huge effect on the industry, with at least three million people who are going to lose their job due to the German decision to suspend. Well. It's actually not very German. It, the decision comes from the White House to suspend the Nord Stream 2 pipeline that comes from Russia to Germany and supplies Germany with gas. That has never been inaugurated, but it has been suspended. Uh, Donald Trump tried before, but didn't succeed with uh, Chancellor Merkel. But uh, it seemed that Joe Biden was much more successful with Chancellor uh, Schulz. So, uh, the mainstream two has been suspended, and on the mainstream one, there are problems. Unfortunately, we are losing the sound again, uh, Elijah. I was making the point while we try and get Elijah back uh, that the uh, forces of the center that have supported the European Union, boomerang, as uh, Elijah called it, uh, that they threw at Russia, but which came back and sliced the heads of the economy in the uh, European Union. Uh, it, w when history comes to be written, it will undoubtedly be seen as the most grievous act of self-harm collectively done. And Elijah made the point there that the decision was made in the White House, but the 
German government had the, uh, had the ability to refuse it. After all, Angela Merkel did refuse it. She refused it when Donald Trump demanded it. Uh, but Schultz, as a social democrat, uh, has proved easier to deal with for the Americans, as Elijah put it. And of course, this is true right now across the European Union. The lights are going out, the heating is going off, the factories are stopping turning, the inflation is rocketing. And as I alluded earlier, perhaps I didn't put too fine a point on it. In Germany, there's a history of rampant inflation, mass unemployment, and a national psychosis that they have been betrayed, stabbed in the back. Let's see if Elijah uh, is there now and we can complete the interview. Elijah, sorry for these uh, difficulties. You see my point I was just making there, I hope you heard it, that the elements exist in Germany, at least historically, uh, for this to turn into a very big disaster indeed. Well, look, uh, just to confirm, if I may, what you just started, in Europe, we need 155 billion cubic meters of gas. And Russia used to provide us with this gas at a very cheap price. Germany was the first beneficial of this cheap price by boosting its industry to become the third worldwide very close range to with the United States and export all its industry production due to the cheap price of energy. Now, from 155 billion cubic meters of gas, the Americans told us that they gave that will give us 10% at the 40% increase of price. And then we're going to start begging in other countries, like Germany went to Saudi Arabia and to the Emirates to pay more gas coming December. And on the 5th of December, we're going to have again to impose further sanctions on Russia, and we're going to impose another sanction related to energy in February. Now, already the bills in France and in Belgium are multiplied by four. In France, not to the individual, but to companies and shops, etc. But it's going to come and hit them on the beginning of uh, January, as it's going to be hit all over Europe. Now, can you imagine we paying the price of gas four or five times? And we are on a very micro scale. What's going to happen to the industry, particularly in Germany? Now, everybody is going to go to China, and the industry in Europe is going to sink the uh, uh, job opportunities are going to lack, and there is going to be a very serious crisis that is going to be major, as I said, on the 5th of December, after the 5th of December, and in February. So we're going to expect a very harsh next year economy and inflation all over Europe. Now, uh, if Germany is uh, a case in point, which it obviously is, uh, fortunately for the German government, the uh, likelihood is that the German uh, public will not be allowed a say on whether or not to continue with this suicidal 
a set of policies, but the Italian electors very much do uh, this very day. We don't know the results yet, but as I put it uh, when we were trying to get back to you, you don't have to be Nostradamus to uh, uh, anticipate that the forces of the center, so-called, that support this giant boomerang and continue to support it are going to be crushed in the elections. What do you think is going to happen in these Italian polls? Giorgia Meloni is a right wing and she is expected to win uh, the election. Uh, the uh, poll will close at 11 o'clock this evening. And in um, collaboration and connection with Salvini, who was also right wing, and Berlusconi, the former prime minister, they're going to form a coalition of uh, right wing uh, parties that are going to uh, rule the, uh, Italy. However, we're not going to expect that these are going to be uh, grateful for Russia, who uh, run during the COVID-19 to support Italy, when France closed its doors on Italy and the rest of Europe suddenly considered Italy no longer part of the United of the European Union. Um, as Draghi did, uh, the Prime Minister, uh, who is uh, who used to be Prime Minister, no longer. Elijah, alas, uh, we're still having these sound uh, difficulties, so we'll have to call it a day and thank you uh, indeed. We will discuss the Italian elections on Wednesday on the Galloway Show, which only has a couple more weeks to run because it will be replaced by the midweek mother of all talk shows. So if you're interested in what's about to happen in Italy and what the implications are, for the rest of Europe of what's about to happen in Italy. Let's go to line one. Nick is in Los Angeles. Go ahead, Nick. Uh, good evening, George. Uh, hopefully you remember me. You were kind enough to host me for a cup of tea a number of years ago at the House of Commons. I, I reached out oh, to you amazing. via email. And um, um, I'm, a, I'm a, 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 obviously an expat in Los Angeles but and used to be an actor in London and appeared in some television shows that you'll probably recognize if I mention them. But anyway, but I was I was getting involved in politics. How, here wonderful. In How wonderful to meet you again. Well, you're in Los Angeles. That's where the actors go. Are you in work yeah. or are you resting? No, I remember when I when I mentioned to you, I was I was involved in politics on the edge because I was I was getting involved in some local political fights. And but I'm I'm in the corporate world and have been a bit of a whistleblower in the corporate world. I used to work for Wells Fargo and um, was a whistleblower there and had to leave. And then I was with another large uh, insurance brokerage firm in the U.S. So I, co I, co I continued my activism within the corporate world and I've had to move on several times just because obviously I wasn't welcomed because I was someone would speak up. But uh, anyway, that's that it helps me sleep. At well, night, uh, I was, uh, but keep on blowing those whistles, uh, Nick. What would you like to say? Yeah. Well, it was great hearing Jimmy Dore, because I'm a big fan of Jimmy's, and, and he's a local guy here, and I know many people that know him and work with him, and I was fascinated to hear that he may consider running as a candidate, even to get a third-party voice moving forward. I was very much involved at the very beginning of the Sanders campaign here in Los Angeles and Southern California, was deeply involved in that, and watched the assassination of his campaign by the Democratic Party from within, very much like what happened to Jeremy Corbyn, 
and the anti-Semitism yeah, lie. Identical, yeah, um, yeah. That, it's, it's identical. And, and the rabbit hole of failed capitalism from Reaganomics to the Thatcher economics is now coming home to roost. But what I'm really fascinated by and I've been watching intently is, is the rise and the, and the wonderful push forward by, by the RMT leaders through Mick Lynch and Eddie Dempsey and those that are coming behind them. I'm, I'm really hopeful and, and would want your opinion on, is it a reality? Is it a possibility that people are waking up to where you might even have a national strike? What's your thoughts on that? Well, uh, it is a possibility. It's a long way off if it is a possibility. But the fact that it's even on the agenda, the unison, moderate unison leadership said today that the day is approaching when what they called uh, closely coordinated strike action will have to be contemplated because with a projected inflation rate of 23% by April, any pay settlement less than 23% means a pay cut. And even the most right. militant unions are not even asking for, never mind getting, 23%. So it's a no-brainer. The unions are going to have to step up to the plate and fight. Or what's the point of being in a union, many will ask. Uh, the value of Lynch, whom I don't know, and Dempsey, whom I know well, uh, is in the leadership. You know, if people need leaders, people need to be led, they need to be organized, persuaded, convinced, and then led. A, a leader says, I'm going over there, come with me. He doesn't sit behind a desk uh, taking, uh, you know, polling advice uh, or, uh, or, or having focus groups. A leader says, this is where we're going, come with me. And that's what the leaders of the RMT have done, sadly. There are not that many unions with that kind of leadership. My own union, Unite, does have a good leadership, but the rest, I'm afraid, are still in the doldrums. But it's on the agenda, Nick. It's on the blackboard, at least, a matter that is now finally being discussed. Attila is also in California and also wants to talk about Jimmy Dore. Attila, welcome. Hey, hey, George, I'm up in the north of California. Listen, here's something that um, I've been talking to a friend of mine about. Now, now, if Dore did something, or anybody does anything, I think that what's going to happen is at 340, they're going to run into what Jesse Ventura ran into, which I call the Ventura effect, where the Democrats, Republicans, everybody is going to gang up on him. That's going to be one thing that's going to happen. And then how do you, how do you, how do you get any traction when that happens? Well, Jesse, as you mentioned, Jesse, another good friend of mine, uh, he became uh, the governor uh, of Minnesota against the Democrats and the Republicans, who did gang up on him. But he won as a third-party candidate, was elected as the governor of the great state of Minnesota, and I very much wish he had run uh, for president last time. I don't know why he didn't, and I think his moment may well have passed, and the torch may well have passed to another personality, celebrity candidate like Jimmy Dore. And I very much hope that Jimmy will, because I think Jimmy Dore's got the right stuff. He, 
He talks about politics powerfully, but amusingly. Uh, he makes people laugh at our rulers and the corruption of our system. And I very much believe that that is what's required. But Attila, it's really the other way around, you know, your question. If not, then what? If we don't try to break this corrupt, vile, venal duopoly of the so-called Democrats and the so-called Republicans, well, it's the same old, same old. And as Dr. Einstein, Professor Einstein said, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result is the very definition of madness. Thanks for the call. Joe is in New Jersey. Go ahead, Joe. Hey, good afternoon, George, and I'd like to say uh, very best afternoon to the Palestinian people, the uh, the victims of evil, and I'd also like to say best wishes to the to the Russian people in Ukraine who are also victims of evil evil ideology. And uh, hey, I I wrote something a while back, and Jimmy Dore uh, mentioning Joe Biden in the video. I named it a cranial impotence. And uh, I think it fits uh, two tongues, Joe <laughs> Biden. Uh, cranial impotence. There's the no Viagra for it either. Joe, yeah, the inability. Viagra wouldn't be of any use. No, the, the inability to use one's mind independently and without aid. And uh, we saw Biden at the, uh, at the UN, and he's denouncing everything he stood for his whole life. So I came up with two tongues, Biden. But anyway, hey, uh, you know, what, what's going on in your country and our country here in the United States is the undermining of democracy, the destruction of the voice of the people, the will, the wants, the needs uh, of the people. And, you know, it, in our country, I, I mean, I've been doing this for, for several years, trying to find somebody in America who actually knows the definition of freedom, who actually knows the definition of liberty, or who actually knows the definition of democracy. Uh, you know, it's easy to Google, but uh, I have the definition of democracy right in front of me. A system of government by the whole population, ruled by the people, a government in which supreme power is vested in the people. George, that was stolen from us. Now we see these people, they are the opposition, they are the dictators, and we saw at the UN, these NATO countries, Biden and, and, and your country, et cetera, they acted like dictators. They were, they, were, they were almost out of control. They weren't like a part of the people. They weren't speaking for the benefit of the people. They weren't speaking as an asset to the people. They were talking down. They were demanding. They were telling what they were going to do. And, um, you know, that's the destruction of our that's right. democracy. That's exactly right. You know, and, and, you know, talking of impotence, uh, cranial or otherwise, the United Nations has become the very definition of impotence. Joe, thanks for the call. I've got to press on, not least because very, very rarely we get a call from Moscow. But we've got one tonight. It's Oleg in Moscow. Welcome to the mother of all talk shows, Oleg. Um, I had a very strange question, and I'm sorry for my English, I don't uh, have to practice too much. Uh, 
after the start of the war, I uh, seen a lot of uh, English speaking, as example, you or Jimmy Dore, but the most left on the West, how it's uh, strange it uh, sounds, never speak about economic. They always speak about persons, about Biden, about Trump, about truth. But question is not about person. The question is that uh, this uh, crisis is started before the war, before much before the war. It started in uh, 1970, uh, and why? left on the West, it's a, I, I again say, it's a very strange uh, sounds, but why they call too much to the persons? They don't speak the uh, base, why this happened? Okay, Oleg, it's not a great line, but it was great to have a call uh, from Moscow. I myself speak about economics all day and every day and try to deal with the great issues of the time. But when there's war going on, it's a bit difficult to focus people's mind on the budget, uh, which otherwise would have been the main topic of my monologue uh, this evening. Uh, I was a political activist the last time this was tried by a conservative chancellor, funnily enough, in 1970 or 72. Uh, Anthony Barber was his name. The Barber Boom, it was called, except it crashed and brought his government, then led by Ted Heath, crashing down with it. But no time at the moment for that. Online one is my old hometown, Alan. In Dundee. Go Hi. ahead, Alan. Hi, George. How are you doing, George? Great. No, I love your show. I think oh, you're great. Good. Thanks uh, very much. Everybody who says things about you, I don't care. I, but, I'm not saying but. <clears throat> however, I, I watched you and Jimmy Dore. That was absolutely fantastic. Right? That was amazing. That was yeah. great television, wasn't it? Yeah. It, absolutely superb, George. Yeah, that's why, that's why you phoned in. And then at the end of the, the interview, right, um, and when Jimmy was giving his rant about Joe Biden and all that, and, and you, you came up with something about, uh, I hope people change their mind or whatever. And that was the point, uh, that was the reason I phoned. You, do you disagree with what uh, he said? No, or, uh, Jimmy, no, was effectively, no. Jimmy was effectively saying he wouldn't run mm-hmm. because oh, right. he thought they'd Got, kill him yeah. or plant uh, child pornography or something on his computer. He felt that they would destroy yeah. him like they destroyed Ralph Nader. That's what I meant, that I hoped he changed right, his okay. mind. Yeah, yeah, that's right, somebody's got no. to do it, Alan. Somebody's yeah, got George. to do it. And I can't think I of a better man than Jimmy. I know. He's, 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 he's wonderful. Like, yeah, and you know what? Like, people say, the usual controversial. I say, you're not controversial. <laughs> you just tell the bloody truth. <laughs> right? Well, I always say when I'm introduced on uh, programs and so on, uh, mm-hmm. as controversial. I, I, I always say, well, um, when I opposed the invasion and occupation of Iraq, mm-hmm. it was definitely yeah. controversial. But it isn't mm-hmm. controversial now because no, you can't find a single person 
who will yeah. now say that I was wrong and they were right. Because <laughs> it was controversial then, George. Accent. Yeah, yeah well, Sorry. I mean, I've had a lot of views that were called controversial, but they all turned out to be right. If I wrote an autobiography, Alan, it would be called I Was Right About Everything, because I bloody well was. Thanks for the call. Tony from Belfast uh, called in. He wanted to ask me if I'm coming to Belfast with uh, the mother of all talk shows, Roadshow. I'm not, Tony, sorry. Uh, Erobos, my old friend in New York on Jimmy Dore. Go ahead, Erobos. Salubrious night to you, uh, Mr. Galloway. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you, and, you know, as always, I have to uh, pay tribute, in a sense, um, to not just your eloquence and your intelligence, your experience, and uh, the fact that you have this platform and can feature anyone, including myself and fellow guests. It's, uh, it, it's truly great, and it's world historic. Um, I'm thankful to actually see Dagny Taggart, and even with the signal interruptions of Elijah there, uh, this is truly, you know, every time I think when this program can't get any better, you know, Jimmy comes on, Dagny comes on, and even the scholar, and, and your comments, right? I'm, I'm subjectively, I'm, I'm punching the wall, laughing and crying all at the same time. You know, so I, I just want to, I just want to mention that this is truly a world historic moment, just this program and the people you have on it. Um, in terms of, um, the message I extracted from Jimmy, because as you may remember, I'm a member of the People's Party here in uh, New York City for what, just, for what it is. And, you know, we, we're constantly cajoling and encouraging Jimmy to run. However, what I extracted from Jimmy's message was that, you know, in the words of Grace Lee Boggs, which I have up on my wall here, we are all, we are the leaders we've been looking for. You know, unfortunately in the American psyche, and this is not unique, to this country, to the United Snakes of America. In our psyche, there's always the, the, the hero complex, right? There's always the, you know, the, the waiting for the Messiah or the Father to come and take our hands. And when these charismatic people come forward, they either get killed or imprisoned or they have to run underground. And then, you know, once they kill the leaders, the movement dies because the entirety of the people's attention is in the charisma and the personality of the leader. We've seen this with Malcolm, seen this with Dr. King, you know, Medgar Evers and, and many others, even the Kennedys, you know, and, um, and, and it's, um, it's no small feat and no small miracle that you're still here with us, right? Because you're easily targeted, you've been attacked, you're constantly under attack. So I don't take for granted that you're still here and you're the only person I hear of outside of one or two other voices in the United Kingdom that's representing the way you are. So these things are very important. However, what I extracted from Jimmy's message is that it's up to us, those that can, you know, we all need to be Jimmy Dawes. We all need to be George Galloway's, Dagny Taggart's. We all need to be leaders because we don't want to keep repeating the lessons that we're supposed to have inculcated, where they, they chop the head off and the body fails. The, the African-American Organization of Unity, I'm not saying that correctly, that our Brother Malcolm X has started, died immediately when he was assassinated. All these great movements either die 
or they march into the graveyard of the, polit- of the Democratic Party and die there, as Kashama Sawant uh, eloquently stated. So, you know, I know there's a lot of people on, and I don't want to take up too much time, but the, the, the thing is... No, it's a fabulous, uh, it's a fabulous call, uh, Robos. Unfortunately, it's the last uh, call because uh, the hour has come to say goodbye. But it was a very powerful summary, not just of where we are, and I'm grateful, of course, for your kind words. I repeat, uh, I fear only God. I am always ready to meet my maker, and I know that it can come at any minute. But to paraphrase a much greater man than me, Che Guevara, what matters not that I fall, but that four, five, six run to pick up my rifle. And that's the role of somebody like me, to make more leaders, make more organizers, make more educators, make more agitators. And I think we're doing, God willing, pretty well on the mother of all talk shows. That's it for uh, tonight. Unfortunately, I want to thank you for watching another bumper audience last week. I suspect when we get the clips of Jimmy Dore and others, it's going to be another big audience for this week's show. Spread the word though. Tell people about it. Let's build, build and build to the midweek mother of all talk shows. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.